You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Native peoples were part of the Virginia landscape long before colonists stumbled on what they called the New World. But what was the interaction among Native peoples, colonists, and enslaved Africans? Manager of the American Indian Initiative, Buck Woodard, is here today to talk about how Virginia Indians adapted to the colonial presence. Buck, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Harmony. Good to have you back. Thank you. Buck, when we're talking about the Native presence in um, colonial America, how do we refer to it? Do we say Native American? Do we say Indian? What's, what's the correct way to refer to Native peoples? Excellent question. First of all, I would say that there is no one correct answer. It really depends on when and where. And who, we're, and who we're talking about. Uh, Native peoples, first and foremost, would, you know, today, in the, in the present, would prefer to be identified by, by tribe. So if we're talking about the Cherokee peoples, or Pamunkey peoples, or Shawnee peoples, there are challenges with, with names. For instance, Virginia Indians. In the 17th century, Virginia is a very small place in terms of the English control, even though they may see it as encompassing all of uh, North America. Um, but if we think in the colonial context of the 18th century, where is Virginia and who is a Virginia Indian when Virginia stretches all the way to the Mississippi, into the Ohio, to the Great Lakes? It's always important to situate them historically and, and specifically. So when I say Virginia Indians, you know, we're usually thinking about the 21st century, 11 state recognized tribes. But in the past, Virginia's native peoples included anyone who was within the, the geography of uh, what was then thought of Virginia and doing business with the colonial capital of Williamsburg. Well, let's start off on the right foot then and start by talking about what specific tribes would have been represented uh, in the area that we today call Virginia, in the, where uh, Jamestown colonists landed, where Williamsburg was later founded. What, what specific groups would have been represented here? Well, on the coast we have Algonquian speakers. Uh, today we use a, a, a term called Powhatan to talk about those Algonquian speakers, but within the Algonquian speaking communities there are many names, Rappahannock, Patawomac, Nansamond, Pamunkey. So those are names used to identify specific communities, those, but they're Algonquian speakers, they're all under the same language family. To the west and south a, a bit, uh, there's Iroquoian speaking peoples, Nottaways, Maharans, Tuscarora. Farther west, into the Piedmont, we have Siouan-speaking communities. Uh, these would be the Saponi or the Tutelo or the Monacan. And then towards the mountains, uh, we encounter the Cherokee peoples, who are also Iroquoian speakers of, of a, a very distant branch of the family. Uh, and likely, when we get past the mountains, we could keep going all the way to the Mississippis. But, but you know, there's there's folks that are speaking Algonquian languages like the Shawnee. So at the time of, of Jamestown, though, we, we, we tend to think of, of the, this Tidewater area as Virginia. And as the frontier moves west, um, English-speaking people encountered new indigenous groups. So there's a real diversity of presence. Uh, here, it seems like there's almost a tendency when we think about the history of um, Native peoples in, the, in this colonial period that we think of them as, as a monoglot, that we think of them as just one presence. As you try to bring the diversity of that presence and, and the complexity of those stories um, to the history that we tell here in Williamsburg, how do you try to begin to bring that out and talk to people about the real complexity of this story and of this presence? Well, 
we try to use language as, as one way in to demonstrate that there's diversity within Indian country. Just as there's English speakers and Spanish speakers and French speakers and Dutch speakers, uh, in, in Virginia, the colonial Virginia, we have communities that speak a, you know, a, a version of Iroquoian who are Cherokee. We also have Iroquoian speakers who are Mohawk, Seneca, um, Nottaway. We have Algonquian speakers that are Shawnee and Algonquian speakers that are Pamunkey. So one way that we try to demonstrate that is by using the language in our interpretations as, as best we can uh, as, as a way to set the stage for the visitor and set the stage for the guest. And so if you hear me say Algonquin speakers or Iroquoian speakers, it's to reflect that there is this diversity of language and, and thus diversity of culture and many different peoples uh, represented by, by those language families. And even within one language family, there's different tribal communities. So over the course of the last few years, as we've tried to develop the interpretation for Colonial Williamsburg, we've selected stories that try to reflect different peoples within Indian country. So we have a Shawnee narrative, and they're Algonquin peoples from the Ohio. We have a Cherokee storyline. Those are folks from the mountains of Virginia and Carolina who are Iroquois speakers. Uh, we do um, business with the Pamunkey, who are just 25 miles from Williamsburg, Powhatan peoples, Algonquian speakers in the 17th century. So I think that's one way into diversity is to think about language. We have a very strong representation here at Colonial Williamsburg now, a lot of examples of the interactions among European people, colonists, and later bringing in the narratives of the African people that were brought here enslaved or later that became free Africans. Um, how do we begin to bring in the stories of the native people who were also here and, and the interactions that happened, what was typical? What do we know from history about that presence? Well, we have our work cut out for us because the, the foundation as an, as an institution, as a museum, um, has been producing public history for 70-some you know, years. The African-American storyline began in earnest um, probably 25 years ago, but was founded almost 30 years ago. So they have a, a groundwork has been laid for interpreting both a European perspective and to some degree an African perspective. So we're somewhat latecomers to this storyline um, and trying to insert the native narrative into a, uh, a story that's already been constructed by, um, by Virginians and by Americans, it's a, it's a little challenging. It's, it's a form of decolonization. It's a form of reversing um, understandings of how America was formed and how Virginia was formed and, and what peoples made up the past. Um, but it's not impossible. Are you able to find stories of specific individuals? Is, does the historic record provide you with a lot of material to be able to recreate some of those narratives of, of specific individuals? It's an exciting opportunity to really try to put back together um, bits of evidence that we have for Native peoples in, in the 18th century. There are records. Uh, one just has to know where to look, what to look for. Um, you know, when Colonial Williamsburg as an institution came together as a museum, many records were collected in Europe, different parts of the United States, and brought to, say, the, the Rockefeller Library here and our archives. But the, the researchers were, had attention for colonial Virginians, white Virginians, mostly male. Later in time, in the 20th century, began to address issues of women, 
um, the lower class of African Americans, enslaved peoples, free Africans. And so we, more collections were ac accumulated and, and identified and sort of the perspective of those documents um, changed, people's perspective of those documents changed. Native peoples are, are in those documents. Native peoples are in those records. Um, one just has to look for them and, 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 and have attention uh, to those stories and to look for the names and to look for the peoples. A couple of good examples that we have here in, in Williamsburg. Uh, the Bradford and Indian School, for instance, was up and running from the beginning of the century through the American Revolution. There are some records associated with the Bradford and that give us the names of students when they attended the school. Um, and with some additional research outside of the uh, historic area, we can connect some of those peoples uh, with their home communities. For instance, um, Montour is a name that appears in their records, and he's likely related to the, the Delaware and the Seneca. Um, Murphy is another one that's connected to the Cherokee. Uh, Langston and Samston and Cook are connected to the Pamunkey. Uh, squirrel to the Nansamon and Nottaway. So through some of the, the, ang the anglicized and English names of, of the Indians who lived in town, we can, we can begin to look for them in other inventories and records and try to put together um, a story of what their life might have been like. Those are good examples for everyday life um, of Native peoples in Williamsburg. There are other cases where we have leaders that come over and over again through the course of their lifetime. So Atacullacullah, also called the Little Carpenter, makes his first visit to Williamsburg in the early 1730s as a 16-year-old. Uh, he makes his last visit here in 1777 uh, as, as a senior statesman. And probably 10, 15 visits in between on official delegations to meet with the governors from the 1730s to when Patrick Henry is the governor of a new state, uh, no longer the, the colony of Britain. So we can, we can reconstruct and, and put together storylines of, of folks, because those are known to history. Atacolacola is, is, a, is a known chief and a, a known individual from Cherokee history uh, that we can trace historically and, and, and reconstruct. So there are a number of, number of ways in which we can, uh, we can attack uh, uh, how to build a narrative and, and how to, how to get a storyline together. And increasingly you can find these stories uh, as part of the revolutionary city here in Colonial Williamsburg. Where can people look to find some of these stories when they come and visit? Well, we've been fortunate to uh, been working with uh, three federal Shawnee communities in Oklahoma um, beginning in 2009 to, to put together a Shawnee storyline for revolutionary city. So uh, several times a year we have um, special programs that highlight the Shawnee presence in Williamsburg on the eve of the American Revolution and then as the revolution unfolds. So depending on when visitors come, for instance, if folks are going to be here around Easter this year, we'll have several weeks of uh, Shawnee stories as a part of the revolutionary city. You can meet uh, four of these, these young men who came to live in Williamsburg during the winter of 74 and then several of them that have to make tough choices in the spring of 75 when the revolution breaks out, whether to stay allied with the British or whether to make new agreements with the Virginians. They can also look for special weekends like Cherokee Weekend that we'll have later um, in the late spring, early summer, uh, where we have a special group come in from the Eastern Band of Cherokee, maybe 20 uh, individuals, and they'll you know, be in town in the middle of, the, of Market Square um, you know, reproducing baskets and doing uh, blowgun demonstrations and stickball, and sometimes we have evening dances and programs. 
Um, but we've also been fortunate to attract some native talent that's here on a more regular basis. And so uh, hopefully this spring, uh, visitors to Colonial Williamsburg will be able to catch Mr. Charles Murphy, who's the interpreter for the Cherokee, um, possibly uh, getting some fencing lessons on the, on the palace green, or our, uh, we have an Indian trader program that's on Thursdays where folks can, can visit with an Indian trader as he's just come back from the frontier and running errands in town. So there's um, numerous, uh, multiple locations, I, sh I should say, where folks can, can try to be a part of the story. Buck, thank you so much for being here today. It's always fascinating talking with you. Thanks, Harmony. We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate.